0: Good morning. Man, we are so glad that you have joined us for our time of worship. Appreciate our worship team and the job that they do every single week leading us in worship. Let me take just a moment to address uh, so many of your emails and phone calls. Many of you are aware that this week uh, our lieutenant governor and the task force that Governor Abbott had set up has uh, sent out information that that group has about releasing uh, churches to meet. And uh, it's still in the early process of trying to sort through all the guidelines that they've given us. But just want you to know that we certainly will not be able to open in the next week or two, but we are monitoring week by week uh, the number of cases that we have, weighing in with city officials, listening to our state and national leaders. And again, I just remind you that some odd 70% of our church membership is 65 or older. And knowing that, uh, we want to be very cautious and careful because, uh, again, our primary concern is protecting you uh, as our church family. And uh, we know we're going to live through this, get through this, uh, but in doing so, uh, we don't want to do anything uh, that would jump the gun. and. Uh, cause someone to fall intentionally or unintentionally in any kind of harmful situation. Pray for us as church leaders as we continue to watch and monitor uh, really daily updates as things are changing. And we'll be sending out this week a letter to our membership giving you a number of updates including the results of our church conference and uh, a number of other items that you just need to be brought up to speed uh, as we walk through days and Hopefully that communication will answer a lot of your questions. I want to welcome also you that are not part of our church family, that streaming with us today or watch, watching by podcast at a later time. We're just glad that you've joined us. Our church family is walking through what I think is one of the richest books in all the Bible, the book of Job. And last week we just had the opportunity to get started, to look at some important pictures of Job's life, a man that was blameless and upright, But the man that began to lose almost everything, almost everything in his life began to unravel. And with that is going to come the opportunity for us to relearn or learn for the very first time some important life lessons. Today, as we look at chapters 4 through about chapter 11 or 12, look at different portions of that, we're going to be looking at this important topic of friendships and relationships We know at the very core of who we are, these relationships are vital. Not only us being a friend to someone, but when those befriend us. And then when you calculate what Job was facing, these difficulties, it really brings some interesting dynamics into the picture. So today, we're going to spend a few moments looking at friendships. As you prepare to join us in this time of worship, I'd encourage you by by phone or by Bible to grab uh, a biblical text of some sort and be ready to read along with us. And I want to encourage you to have a place. Maybe today there will be a couple of things noteworthy that I want you to secure for future days. Because one thing I can say with certainty Every one of us is either just coming out of a great challenge in our life, about to go into a challenge in our life, or some of us on this day are in the midst of a challenge in our life. And so today, these words from Job are going to be extremely germane, very important, and I hope that as God deals with each of our hearts through the text, that he'll speak to us clearly and give us some lessons and how we can live life. We're aware from last week, as we looked at those first couple chapters of Job, that Job's life was a laboratory. Behind the scenes, Satan has challenged our very holy God with this motive issue that, of course, God, people follow you and serve you. You take Job, for instance. Job would never serve you if all the blessings were stripped out of the very life that you've given him, but you've given him so many blessings, of course he serves you. In other words, Satan's challenge to our holy God was that Job's life is evidence and proof that people will not serve a God for for nothing. And with that in mind, we know that test case is going on with Job losing everything, except his wife and his life, Job had lost his fame, his fortune, much of his family, his 10 children were gone. And with that, we have this remarkable moment when friends walk into his life. I just wonder today how many real friends each of us have. If I were to ask you today, how many real friends, genuine friends do you have? You know, I don't know what criteria you would use But at least psychologists tell us that you could probably count the real friends that each of us have on one or two hands or the fingers. Generally, not very many real friends. The Bible says a friend loveth at all times. Someone said a friend walks in when everyone else walks out. Someone else said this about true friendship. A true friend is a person who knows all about you and loves you anyway. This morning, as we learn some important life lessons about Job, I just want to introduce you to three things that I want to point out about Job and his life. First of all, I want us to spend just a few moments thinking about Job's friends. Job's friends. I want you to join me in reading from God's Word in Job chapter number 2, beginning in verse number 11. Job chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what God's Word says. When Job's three friends... Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuat, uh, and Zophar the Namathite heard all about the trouble that had come upon him. They set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and to sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads, Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You know, one of the things that we can say about the friends of Job and that are positive is that at least these guys were there for Job. You know, there's three or four things we see immediately from this passage even though the rest of the book of Job is going to bear out that they made some poor choices in their relationships with Job, at least initially, they did some great things. Now, I want to encourage you just for a moment inside this message to have a little mini-message here with me, some things that you and I can connect with in terms of our relationships with others around us. There's going to be a time when you and I are called to love on people that are in great distress, to go to a friend when they are really facing some adversity. And this first statement that we saw, they came from a distance, at least they came. They sat with him, the Bible says in verse 13, and immediately, that's one of the important life lessons. We we must first of all care enough to be bothered to go to just initiate contact. So often we find ourselves concerned about what to say or something gets in the way of us. We had every intention of carrying out uh, the initial feeling in our heart to go be with someone. But there's some reason or some diversion. But to fight through that and get to our friends is an important first step. Then the Bible says not only were they there, but they sympathized with him. The Bible says from a distance they couldn't hardly recognize him. But did you hear those incredible... They wept. They wept aloud, tore their robes, sprinkled dust on their heads. All Old Testament ways of speaking into mourning or great heartache. All of these are evidences of that. They came to comfort and to console. And then a key thing, a third thing we can learn is they kept silent. The Bible says, for seven days, no one said a word to him. What an incredible moment in God's Word. Don't miss this. This is too good to miss. You and I so often think we have to have the perfect prized words when those that are hurting, when we're trying to minister to them and encourage them. And many times we've got to understand those key moments will not even have any words. You see, so many people think words are what connect intimacy. But let me remind you of something very important. If you don't write anything else down or remember anything else about this message, this is a key moment. I want to encourage you to remember that true intimacy is not lost when we stop talking. But intimacy is lost when we stop listening. When we connect and disconnect, we don't connect necessarily in intimacy by always speaking verbally. But when we truly disconnect is when we stop connecting by listening. And with that in mind, these three friends come to Job. And in the first seven days, we learn some incredible positives about how we can employ certain attributes in our life of the what to do moments. But let's look at these three friends quickly. Job's friends. Each one of them has their own answer. As seven days expire, they feel compelled to pass their own judgment. And let me just share with you something very important for us never to do with our friends. When they're in great distress, we must avoid at all costs passing some kind of judgment on why they are in the situation that they are. We've got to be extremely, extremely careful to be critical in these key moments to pass any kind of judgment on a reason or a why that they're facing what they are. With this in mind, we see first friend that comes along is a friend by the name of Eliphaz. It's recorded for us in chapter 4, 5, and 6, this dialogue, Eliphaz and Job. In fact, the Bible says Eliphaz is going to come to Job with a voice of philosophy. He's going to look into his heart, take his attitude, his viewpoint, and his thinking And he's going to come up out of this voice with, with philosophy, with this answer of mysticism. In other words, he's going to search for some kind of spiritual answer, and he's going to use that to try to address to Job, hey, Job, now that I've had time to look at this situation, this is why you're in the situation that you are. Now, we don't have time to read all of these verses, but I would just encourage you, in chapter 4, verses 12 through 18, Eliphaz begins to tell Job of this deep experience that he has. He talks to him about seeing something in the darkness, seeing out of the shadows, that he's able to have an experience that brought him to the point that it was through that experience that it was revealed to him what Job was was experiencing and why. Now, I just remind you that all experiences, whether we believe them or not, if they're really from God, they will all withstand the test of Scripture. We're, we know all too well that Satan also can bring some experiences in our lives. But O Eliphaz, out of that voice of philosophy, his answer of the spiritual or the mystic, the mystic, he brings this bit of tribute to Job out of the, quote, goodness of his heart of why Job was facing what he was. In Job chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he brings a a, a sense of, hey, Job, you got to understand. You got to be willing to listen and hear what I'm about to bring to you. Listen to what Job 4.2 says. Eliphaz said, if someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? Think how you have instructed many, how you've strengthened feeble hands. Verse 4, your words have supported those who stumbled, but now trouble comes to you, and you're discouraged. It strikes you, and you're dismayed. And then Eliphaz, in verse 7 and 8, out of Job chapter 4, brings what his answer is to the forefront. He just lays it at Job's struggling heart and says, Job, here's what it's all about. Consider now, in verse 7, who being innocent has ever has ever perished. Where were the upright ever destroyed? As I have observed, verse eight, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble, they reap it. So there it is. Job's first friend has the answer that he believes is at the root of all the pain, all the misery, and all the agony. Job let me just shoot you straight. Eliphaz says, your suffering. Because you're a sinner. What a moment. And then Bildad comes into the picture. A second friend. And he begins dialogue. Bildad the Shuite begins to unfold the reason that he believes that Job is struggling. And Bildad's going to speak to Job out of a sense of, out of a voice of history. His answer is going to be all about traditionalism. A traditional answer. He's going to say, let's check with the fathers. Let's look in Job chapter 8, verses 8, 9, and 10. Bildad said, ask the former generation and find out what their ancestors learned. For we were born only yesterday, and we know nothing. And our days on earth are but a shadow. Will they not instruct you and tell you? Will they not bring forth words from their understanding? And then he brings to a point his final answer. In verse number 13, Bildad says in chapter 8, Such is the destiny of all who forgot God, so perishes the hope of the godless. Wow. Job, I'll tell you what the answer is. Job, not only are you a sinner, as Eliphaz has said, but the real reason you're in the situation you are is you're a hypocrite. You've been making these offerings for your children You've been trying to walk a blameless and upright life. But at the real root of it, sin has festered in your own life and now you're being called into account for it. So wow, Job's first two friends, you're a sinner. Second friend, you're a hypocrite. And then the voice of orthodoxy comes along. A man that's going to speak out of custom and belief. His name was Zophar. And out of that voice of orthodoxy, He's going to bring an answer of legalism. That's Zophar's whole picture. He knows it all. He's been able to hear the other two friends' insight. He's been assessing and processing. And now this third friend has his own answer. Listen to his words in Job chapter number 11, verses 5 and 6. Here's what the words of Zophar say. Oh, Job, how I wish that God would speak. That he would open his lips against you and disclose to you the secrets of wisdom. For true wisdom has two sides. Know this, God has not ever forgotten some of your sin. You see, Zophar brings Job to a very important pinnacle. A pinnacle of understanding in his own heart that Job, here's the problem. If you really got what you deserved, you'd be dead and you'd be in hell. Really, Joe, what you're experiencing right now with these pus-filled sores on your body and the devastation of losing your 10 children and losing all of your fame and fortune, you just need to be thankful for that because, Joe, you deserve far, far worse than what you're receiving. You see, that reminds us that there's two very important lessons when we think about being critical or jumping to judgment in terms of our friends. There's two mistakes that we often make. The first is when some of those around us that we're trying to befriend are in a terrible situation, we immediately try to conjure up some kind of simple answer, some type of simple formula. For these three friends, the formula was very simple. Sin equals suffering. Righteousness equals prosperity. Job, you're not prosperous, so therefore there must be sin. And since there is sin, then you are suffering. And see, the first challenge that we have when we jump to judgment is many times we can only bring the simplest of answers. Because a second part of that, we can only argue from a position where we don't have all the information. We only have partial information. We don't have the whole picture. So often when we rush into judgment, we do so without all the facts. Three years ago in our children's hallway, one of our children's teachers shared with me the incredible moment when she was allowing her students to have just a few minutes of what she called free coloring time. Each child in the first and second grade classroom had the opportunity and the privilege on that day, for just a few moments, take colors, glitter, glue, and create any kind of picture that they wanted to. And she shared with me on that given Sunday morning that one of her first grade boys immediately began to color. He was not using glue and glitter, but he was very intent on what he was coloring. As he was coloring that picture, she was checking on each of the students and just simply asking hey, what are you drawing? And he quickly responded, I'm drawing a picture of God. She shared with me that she thought for a moment and said, well, that's interesting because nobody knows how God looks. And she said in just a few moments, the little first grade boy looked up to her and said, they will when I get through And you know, that's the challenge of these three friends. They come into this jumping at judgment. And they didn't have all the pictures. In fact, they thought they had a final picture of God. And they did not have the picture as they thought that they did. So we take just a moment to learn from these three friends. But I think there's something else that's resounding in these early chapters of the book of Job. Not just that we can learn when we look at his friends. But there's this key moment that we can learn from Job as we look at Job's frustrations. Take just a moment and think about in moments when you and I walk through difficult days, here's what we can learn from Job. One of the many things. How did Job react? We know he was frustrated. When you and I are preparing right now, right now is one of the best times for us to prepare. We don't want to wait till we get into severe adversity to start trying to prepare for something. The best time to prepare is to plan ahead. And with that in mind, knowing that there'll be a day that we all walk into some type of severe adversity, what if we could start preparing our hearts now for as we study Job's life on how we might respond in a positive way? Because you see, we see a picture out of those frustrations of Job's anger. One of the things that naturally begins to happen is that when we find ourselves in really pressing times, adversity, suffering... Misery, humiliation, in those moments, so often we allow our hearts to become angry. Listen to some of Job's responses to his friends. Listen to his heart. Job chapter 6, verse 14 and following. Listen to Job's words. Anyone who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. But my brothers are as undependable as intermittent streams. Job's going to start painting a picture to these three friends of what he senses they really meant to him. He says, you three guys are like streams. He went on to describe it this way. He says, as the streams overflow, just as they have, speaking all of these words to him as to why they felt like he was experiencing what he was. He says, and then carried by the thawing and the swelling of a melting snow... But that stopped flowing. They, he says, there's times they stop flowing in dry seasons, and in the heat, they vanish. He's sharing with them out of a sense of anger about their words being so hollow and meaningless. He went on in chapter 6 and verse 18. He said, Caravans turn aside from their routes, they go off into wasteland and perish. He says, The caravans, they look for water, and traveling uh, merchants, they look in hope. They're distressed because they've been confident and they arrive only to be disappointed. Job said over in chapter 13, verses four and five, we see a real picture of his anger there as well. Job 13, four and five. You, however, smear me with lies. You're like worthless physicians, all of you. If only you would be altogether silent. Job's saying almost like those first seven days you were there for me. You cried with me. You felt what I was feeling. But now your words, he says, they're not full of wisdom. And maybe his anger comes to a pinnacle in chapter 16 in verse 2 when Job says, I've heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Job and his anger. You and I can learn an important lesson here. Anger is something that we need to guard our hearts against. And then we see Job also comes into a time of argument. Over in chapter 6, verses 24 and 25, Job, out of a spirit of, I guess, response to his three friends, begins to argue. He says, teach me and I'll be quiet. Show me and I, where I've been wrong. How painful and honest are these words. But what do your arguments prove? You see, Job knows that he's been walking a blameless life. Job knows he hasn't been perfect, but he's really sought after God's heart. And these friends in a rush to their judgment have just made some assumptions here that are not true. Job, you're a sinner. Job, you're a hypocrite. Hey, Job, you know what? You deserve far worse than what you're even receiving. It was out of this sense that Job not only was angry, but he was argumentative. Could there be a lesson for us as we think about and prepare for our future responses when we walk through difficult days, especially when it comes to those that maybe speak out of turn, but there's also out of Job's heart a sense of agony. In fact, in Job chapter 7 and verse 6, Job says, My days are swifter than a weaver's weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Job says, just as that shuttle goes back and forth, making weaving and tapestries, they move so quickly. Job says, so is my life, just a quick, quick vapor and breath. And Job felt like, because of his health in such a condition that it was, that he was about to lose his very life. The brevity of life. His thread of life was running out. And it was out of this response that he remembered something very important. And maybe we need to take note of this as well. When you and I are so devastated in those key moments, we need to remember that there's two different looks, two different pictures of everything that's being faced. See, from our perspective here on the horizontal of the earthly realm, we only can see certain things. But from God's vision from a heavenly realm, He looks down and sees all things. He is all places at all times. And it's out of his heartbeat and vision that we need to trust in his plan and his pattern for our lives. Just a few days ago, I had a a really incredible moment in my life. I got up early. Many of you know each and every morning I try to get up, well, five, six days a week in a way, and do some exercise very, very early in the morning. Usually around 5.30 or 5 o'clock, I'll leave and get on the road to exercise A few days ago, I had slept a little later and left the house just a few minutes before six and went off on a couple of long loops to exercise and walk. And as I finished up, I turned down a neighborhood street that I typically don't include in my daily loop. And I went right in front of my little buddy's house, Elliot LaRue. He's one of my favorite preschoolers in our church. I love all of our preschoolers, but Elliot, man, he's got to be pretty close up there at the top. And as I approached their home, um, I just kind of glanced up. They have a number. They have a beautiful home and a number of windows there. And all of them seem to have some cover over them and so on. And I was really focused more on the road and finishing up my exercise. But as I was getting closer to their home. I just came to, to, to my thought pattern. You know, what if one of them happened to be looking out? Pastor walks by and I don't wave. And so I just waved knowing that no one was really watching or looking And as I got a little closer, I noticed up in the upstairs corner room that there were some shutters that were partially open. I didn't think much about it, refocused my attention on the road and trying to finish up my exercise. As I got pretty much even with that window, for the first time, I could have a pretty good preview, at least just to the outside of the window. And I thought I saw something move. And the next moment, as I examined a little closer, just as the sun was rising, I saw a little preschool hand standing there. It was Big Elliot. He was waving at his pastor. As he did did so, through that whole walk that morning, i had been thinking about all the things that have gone wrong, all the trouble that we're going through in our country. How long would it be till our church could be back and worshiping together? I was thinking about the monotony that, hey, another day here at the house, another day sheltered in, and, you know, really just having a pity party. And as I got up to that window and saw that little young man there, man, he had his PJs on, he was waving. I stopped and walked over to the curb and just stood there. And we had a great time just looking at one another and waving at another wonder. And I noticed Elliot was trying to lift the window. I and mean, I thought, man, I hope he didn't wake up his parents. So I waved a couple times more and walked off. I shared with my wife as I got home, Becky, what a great moment for me. It was out of that difficulty of the day and the pity that I had for my own self that God brought some of the most sim- He brought just a simple thing into my life. Things that I normally would not even have of appreciated. You know, it just reminded me that, man, God does some of His greatest work through some of the darkest days. And, oh, Job, man, God was doing one of the greatest works in Job's life God was about to propel Job's faith from a really strong position to even a stronger position. God was about to take Job's really good and make it better into God's best. And oftentimes we forget that. It's the tapestry of what God is weaving. But can I just share one other incredible thing? You know, Job's friends we learn so much from. And Job's frustrations can teach us some lessons But maybe one of the greatest lessons we learn is about Job's faith. Through all of these moments, Job still demonstrated incredible faith. And again, during the most challenging days, God often does some of his most remarkable work. When you look at the life of Job, especially during these moments when his friends have betrayed him, Job's faith really begins to shine. In fact... One of the things we see about Job is out of that deep faith, Job begins to really speak to God. He communicates in a way that's much more intense. Job says in Job chapter 7 in verse 17, What is mankind that you make so much of them that you give them so much attention? He's asking and speaking directly to God. God, what is it about mankind in general? Of course, me included, but all of us. What is it that we demand so much of your attention? I love that because Job is engaging relationally with God. You know, I'd really never thought about it before, but you know, when you look and you and I look together for several weeks about Job's friends, it seems to me that Job is all, I mean, Job's friends are always speaking about God, but Job speaks to God. Certainly he makes references about God from time to time, but much of Job's dialogue is to God directly. So it causes him to speak to God. But we also see his faith really searches for God in this time. Listen to Job chapter 23 and verse 3. It says, Job spoke these words, If only I knew where to find him. He was really searching for God. If only I could go to his dwelling. What an incredible statement. You know, when we are really desperate in our lives we really begin to talk to God on a different level. We really begin to search for Him and to reach out for Him. And you sense that out of Job's faith. And then finally, we know that Job, that his faith caused him to shout for God. That paramount verse, chapter 19 and verse 25, where Job says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He'll stand in the last times, in the last days, on earth. It was out of that kind of reflection and response to God that we see something about Job's faith. Man, he truly shouts to God. You know, today as we have had these few moments together, I just want to remind you how important in difficult days a friend can be to someone that's struggling and how important it is that as we're struggling, how important friends can be. And as they reach out and minister to us in difficult times, we've got to remember they're not going to be perfect as they minister, just as we're not perfect. But you know, it's really, really vital today that we remember a very important truth. You know, second chances don't often happen when it comes to these crucial moments of suffering. Most of the time, we only get one shot. You know, as a pastor doing this whole new video thing, uh, it's been amazing to me in this whole experience in the last six, seven weeks now of the questions that people ask me about working with cameras. And one of the big questions people ask me almost on a weekly basis is, when y'all are doing those services and recording all that, who's in the room? How many people are there? And I guess as you're watching by camera, all you can see is just a small circle, a small realm. And so I guess it's intriguing to people that what's going on behind the scenes. Like today, John back there in his pajama pants or Josh shaving off his mustache. You not I mean, you don't, you don't see those kind of things. But it's amazing how people ask me from time to time about the room. So I just want to let you in on a little insight, a little funny thing that's happened because many of you seem to have such a keen interest you know, we don't always shoot this telecast that you see on Sunday morning on Sunday morning, but many Sundays we do. Many times when you see us, we're just as live as live can be. And there's other weeks that because of different schedule uh, complications or health of someone, then we may shoot something early. And this particular week, we had everything planned to shoot on Wednesday, and man, did we shoot it. I came in, I shot the message, the musicians came in, and they shot their part. And I thought everything was done, only to get a call the very next day that the camera was not working the central camera. And that brought, at least for me in that moment, well, a feeling that I'm going to choke someone to death. Because I knew then we were going to have to do this whole thing again but you know there's more to that story because as i arrived to tape this past wednesday i was really giving a tough time to our tech guy john easterling i was picking at him because when the musicians record all of their things sometimes they'll practice they'll they'll record a song four times and they'll take the best take and then out of that John puts this fancy tuner on things so if someone's a little out of pitch, he can bring them into perfect pitch. In other words, what you're hearing may not be the actual mistakes that were actually occurred. But you know, when it came to the old pastor, I always got one take. And so I was just giving him a hard time in a fun, kidding way. But you know, it taught me something very important. It taught me, first of all, a reminder of a lesson that I've learned over and over, but God taught me it again. Be careful what you ask for. Be careful what you pray for. Because within 24 hours, God gave me an opportunity to shoot this message all over again. But he reminded me about something even far more important than that. We don't always get a second chance. We don't always get a second shoot. We don't always have the privilege of somebody coming by and tuning, fine-tuning our mistakes. When it comes to relationships, most of the time we have one shot, one opportunity. So I just want to encourage you out of the empowerment and the Holy Spirit of God as He lives in us and dwells in us and under His direction, if we can again decrease and allow Him to increase in our life, It's in these crucial moments that our friends need us. In these moments when they're in agony, in these moments when they're so isolated and lonely, when they're so often misunderstood, they need us at our best. And it's in those moments that we need to remember we so often have one chance. I just want you to know I love you and I'm praying for you. And just want to encourage you, stay home, Stay healthy and stay helpful. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to thank you for these moments that we've had together in your word. You are a great God. And God, we want to be the best friends that we can be to those that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. Those that we don't see often. Those friends that we are, have deep relationships with, but maybe because of a sense of distance. But it seems that we're called to their aid in a time of tragedy. And those relationships quickly are caught up, and our friends need our help. Father, I thank you for the incredible preservation of your word. You have taught us out of the richness of God's word. Wow, rich, deep, fruitful. So, Father, as we think about the good things that Job's friends did, and how maybe we can employ those in our lives, the mistakes that they made, this quick rush to judgment, Father, as we think about the response, how Job responded, his frustrations, it helps us to prepare for days that we may walk through tough, tough times. But Father, again, the example of Job and the strong faith, none of us look forward to suffering. But Father, it is during those days of suffering and misery that we so often are taking the furthest, the deepest, the widest, because of the work that you do in our lives. Father, be with America. Be with our leaders. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.